I invite you to stand with me for the reading of the scripture today. This is from the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 6, verse 14 through 7, verse 1. Do not be mismatched with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and lawlessness have in common? What partnership is there between light and darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial, the Satan? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. The word of the Lord Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So what I'm about to say is entirely hypothetical. But perhaps there has been in your life a child between the ages of 6 to 11, or maybe you were this child, hypothetically, of course. The parent says to the child, you need to take a shower tonight. And the child says, but I took one on Tuesday, and it is Saturday. Perhaps this has happened to you. Or maybe, hypothetically, the child goes to camp and comes home, and the parent says, I'm just curious, no judgment, but did you shower at camp? And the child says, I went swimming in the lake every day. Why would I shower? Hypothetically, of course, maybe this has happened to you. I, I think it takes time to learn that showering is something that most people do on a regular basis. And I think we have a certain American standard of personal cleanliness that is quite high. But as far as I know, each culture has a, a certain practice of bathing regularly, as far as I know. But I did not do that research for the sermon. We're going to talk about bathing this week. As we continue on our series in the fourfold gospel, as we look at four aspects of Jesus' work on our behalf, four elements of the gospel. Pastor Larson and I talked about this this week and, and previously, and we both agree that to miss out on one of these elements is to miss out on the completeness of the gospel. Last week, we focused on this first symbol, the cross, which reminds us that Jesus is our Savior. And I encourage you, if you didn't hear this message, to go back and catch up on it. It'll help make sense of some of the things you hear this week. But this week, we're focusing on the second symbol, Christ, our sanctifier. Here's the second symbol. Now, at a cursory glance, that looks like a cup, doesn't it? On, on this slide and then on this symbol of the denomination I grew up in, it kind of looks like a goblet. And maybe you th start thinking about like communion 
or the wine or juice, and then you think about Jesus' blood, but actually, that's not what the symbol is. It is a laver. Maybe that's a new word for you. Laver just simply means wash basin. It's a picture of the wash basin from the Old Testament temple and tabernacle. We read about it in Exodus 47. Place the basin, the laver, between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. And the priest would use this to wash his feet before going into the holy place. This picture of the wash basin reminds us of the opportunity to receive daily cleansing from sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. This represents our opportunity to experience the sanctifying work of Jesus. Because Jesus is our Savior, and he is also our sanctifier. Now, Sanctifier is a big $15 or $100 theology word. Maybe you don't use it very much. So what does it mean? It's easy to understand, I think. Sanctus means holy. Maybe you sung this word in choir in junior high or high school. Sanctus, holy. And so we can think of the word sanctified and holy as synonymous. Rather than saying Jesus is our sanctifier, we could also say Jesus makes us holy. Now, the, the challenge is, is that sometimes when you hear the word holy, maybe you have some red flags. Maybe you think of something like the phrase holier than thou, or Puritans, or legalism. And, and maybe in the congregation today, there's like three Shakespeare fans who think of the character Malvolio from Twelfth Night, who is very concerned about what other people think of him, and he's always trying to do the right thing and gain status. He is described as a very Puritan. Malvolio is holier than thou. But that's not what I'm talking about here. Our invitation to sanctification is an invitation to trust Jesus as our sanctifier so that our lives reflect his life, so that our work reflects his work, so that our demeanor reflects his demeanor. There's an old question we ask in the Covenant Church, and the question is, how goes your walk? Now, this is not a question to check up on your exercise habits. It's a question about your relationship with Jesus. Are you with Jesus? Are you listening to him? Is Jesus changing you? Is he influencing you? Because God's work is to save, but he saves us for something. He saves us for goodness. He saves us for holiness. As we grow into the people God wants us to be. In a, in a book that was written about the 1870s, Canadian pastor A.B. Simpson describes a believer's salvation as the building of the house. But without sanctification, in, in this metaphor, the house is empty, he says, and the quote is up here on the screen. Sanctification is having the owner come in and fill the house with the joy that is known by the new home, homeowner. Before, the building was solid and sound, but after being filled by the owner, it is warm, inviting, and beautiful. Many Christians are converted, but stop there. They have a home, but it is empty. 
they do not go on to fill their home with the fullness of Christ in their lives. And my friends, just as we cannot save ourselves, we also cannot sanctify ourselves. Maybe this is a metaphor you understand, because maybe you've built a home or, or had a house remodeled, and it is a lot of work whether you or someone else do it, and you feel glad when it's done, when the plumbing is finished and the doors are hung, when the floor is finished drying, especially if it rains a lot and it can't dry. But you know what I've learned recently is that actually an interior designer or decorator can be a really good hire because they take the stuff and make it look extra good. They have eyes to see what I don't see. They know what they're doing. And, and we And Jesus can do that for us, not with our literal houses, sorry, but with our lives. Jesus can take the raw materials of who we are and sort it out to make each of us the person he wants us to be. The metaphor of a home or building as the person is very helpful, but actually A.B. Simpson isn't the only one to use a building as a metaphor for the Christian life. I mean, you heard the text today a description of the church, the people in Corinth to whom Paul was writing, and he talked about them as the temple of God. Now, in this section of 2 Corinthians, Paul is addressing the believers' participation in idolatrous worship with non-believers. And and we can hear that and be like, that is very far away from my life. There are no idol temples here. This is not a problem. And often this text is used to discourage Christians from marrying non-Christians. And though I think that's a wise teaching, that's not what this text is about in the context. The context of this text points to Paul's prohibition for believers not to participate in idol worship, which did surround people. That's where the restaurants was. That's where the trade unions and guilds were. That's where the fun was. It would have been very easy and probably very enjoyable and normal to participate in idol worship. But Paul is saying, no way. This is a bad match. Your holy territory now. Act like it. And so to underscore his point, Paul references an ancient building, drawing people back several thousand years to the portable temple called the Tabernacle, God had communicated to his people a verbal blueprint for this tabernacle in the book of Exodus, and then later Solomon builds a permanent temple in Jerusalem. And this tabernacle and then the temple represents God's rule and reign. It was considered the footstool of God, where the presence of God was most closely experienced. And this is such an important thing. In scripture, there are 15 chapters at the end of Exodus that give instructions for building the tabernacle, and then step by step, almost verbatim, tells exactly how people follow the instruction. It's important. We read at the end of these instructions, Moses set up the court around the tabernacle and the altar and put up the screen at the gate of the court, so Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord, it repeats, 
filled the tabernacle. God's presence was with God's people. But with the destruction of the temple and the claim of Christ that he was the new temple, the new presence of God, and then in Acts 2, the coming of the Holy Spirit to the church on Pentecost, the presence of God is no longer limited to a single geographic location. God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, fills every Christian. And this is why we can proclaim with confidence that God is with us. God's presence is among his people, the church. And where the presence of God is, there is holiness. And I don't just mean moral and ethical purity, but a set-apartness, a transcendence, an honor, and a glory. Just like Paul wrote in our text this morning, for we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And so, as the temple of God reflects the holiness and presence of God, so may we. Which brings me to some paradoxes of sanctification. Why it's sometimes hard to understand. Because there is a paradox in sanctification. And if this is a new word for you, paradox, that just means something in which two opposite things are true at the same time. Christianity is full of paradoxes. One that you might be familiar with is that we affirm that Jesus is fully human, 100% human, and also 100% divine. That's a paradox. So here is the paradox of sanctification. First, in one sense, we are already sanctified. We are already made holy through the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from sin, and this is done. And that's why... If you go to the first letter Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, where there were some major problems going on in the church, the church in Corinth had a lot of problems. Um, Here were some of them, ethnic and economic divisions. People in the church were suing each other. There was sexual immorality, including soliciting prostitution and incest. And some members, when they got together for communion, were literally eating it all up so people who came late didn't get any, okay? Lots of problems. And Paul writes to them, and he speaks of their sanctification in past tense. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. And in Greek, this is a perfect tense, means that it's a completed action, but it has ongoing consequences. But it has happened. He writes to these people that are really messed up, and he says, you are sanctified. But he doesn't stop there. He continues describing them as people who are called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, because their sanctification isn't done yet. And this is why Paul writes several letters to this church correcting their doctrine, correcting their behavior and conduct. And Paul is like, and this is my paraphrase generally of of the books of Corinthians, Um, that thing you're doing is wrong. Your doctrine is wrong about the resurrection and spiritual gifts and rich people, please stop hogging all the communion and you, and he doesn't say this guy's name, which is great, stop sleeping with your mother-in-law, with your stepmother. So Paul is trying to make them 
learn ethics and morality because he wants them to live into their identity as sanctified people by being called saints. In a way, I think the church in Corinth is a little bit like that hypothetical child I told you about at the beginning of the sermon. It's a young church, about three years old in the first letter. And they need to grow in understanding of their constant need for going to Jesus to sanctify them. And it's the same for us. It's not enough to be like, I'm saved, right? I said the prayer. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I'm saved. And then run back and jump in the lake and never take a ch- Never take a shower again. There is a challenge in sanctification. And I do think we do this too. We forget God's ongoing call for holiness in our lives toward daily submission of our will to God's will, to daily relinquishment of sin, to daily self-examination, and not in some sort of guilt-mongering way, but in the same way that after you hike, you look on your body to see if you have any ticks, because this stuff can kill you. The choice for us to seek Jesus for ongoing sanctification is our choice to daily recognize that we live in a world where the reality of sin and idolatry rubs off on us, even accidentally, and we have to go to that basin daily and be cleaned. To quote A.B. Simpson again, Sanctification resides in the will and purpose of life. It is a practical conformity of life and conduct to the will and character of God. Our will must choose God. And then to quote a Parisian Carmelite monk from over 300 years ago who is called Brother Lawrence, he's not related to me, he said, one cannot become holy all at once. There he is. This is in a little book called Practicing the Practice of the Presence of God, which I wholeheartedly recommend. Sanctification is a daily invitation. It is continuous. It's something that must be ongoing. I remember when I was very young and my mother explaining this to me, and my father was her example. This is our conversation as I remember it. Mom said, Joy, do you think your dad tries to live obediently to Christ? And I said, yes, I think he tries. And she said, does he always do it perfectly? And I said, no. Sometimes he makes mistakes. And she said, but you know, as he grows in faith and knows Jesus better, he is being transformed into someone who reflects Jesus more and more. He will never be perfectly holy on this side of eternity, but he will become more sanctified as he walks with Jesus. And I will say, since this time I had this conversation with my mother, I have observed God's sanctifying work in my father, and I also have observed God's sanctifying work in myself. And this is what Christ our sanctifier is all about. It's about daily seeking Christ to receive not only forgiveness of sin, but power for transformation into people who are more holy and more holy, people who reflect Jesus, people who are growing in virtue, growing in obedience, 
growing in bearing fruits of the Spirit, growing in love for Jesus and the world he created because one shower doesn't cut it. So how can we receive sanctification? How can we do this? Here's some ideas. First, we must realize that we need sanctification and we can't do it ourselves. I once heard that sanctification is 100% God and 100% us, and maybe this is another paradox, but we certainly need Jesus through the indwelling of the Spirit to do the work in our hearts. There's an old hymn that has been on my mind this week that says, Lord Jesus, I long to be perfectly whole. And it is a prayer for the sanctifying work of Christ. Second, we respond to Jesus' invitation to abide in him. As Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me, you can do nothing. It's really easy, I think, in our world to forget to abide in Christ, to sort of compartmentalize, to put our regular life in one bin and our Sunday morning church life in another. No. Jesus wants to infiltrate our whole life, and that means that we are spiritually connected to him like a vine to a branch all the time. Do not separate your religious life from your regular life. Don't compartmentalize into sacred and secular. Don't have the Saturday night things you do and then your Sunday morning completely different. We are whole people. God made us like this. And Jesus wants us to abide in him fully with our whole selves all our time. There's also a sense, and and this is the 100% us part, that we do need to put ourselves in the way of sanctification. Sort of like if you wanted to lose some weight, you would, it would be wise to start by making different choices about the snacks you have in your house. Maybe there are certain ones that you wouldn't purchase anymore and you would buy more grapes and apples. Our own growth in holiness requires some intentionality. I tell you, you are not going to accidentally one day fall into holiness and then get up all sanctified. It doesn't work like that. That's why we have lots of opportunities to pursue sanctification within the life of the church. This is why we encourage small groups. This is why I recommend a billion books on Christian maturity. This is why we say things like, we encourage you to talk to a pastor. It's because we want you to seek the sanctification of Jesus. This is why three weeks ago I passed out Holy to the Lord stickers. I have more if you want them. Right? This is why we share our burdens with others and meditate on Scripture so we can grow in Christ's likeness in abiding in Him. If you want to put one on your phone, this is a great start. But the reality is, maybe this doesn't sound good to you. Like maybe you're still stuck on that idea that that salvation, eternal life with God sounds great, but sanctification sounds like no fun, like being the party pooper who is not only the designated driver, but also the one that makes everyone feel bad for being at the party in the first place. And you are like, not yet. I would like to have some more fun, please. I will tell you, Jesus had a lot of fun. <laughs> and I do, but I do get what you're thinking. But if you're in this category, I, I would offer this. Consider praying, Jesus, I want to want 
you to be my sanctifier. I want to want my will to become your will. I want to want to abide in you. I, I want to want to be holy. That's a sincere prayer. Please pray it and, and let me know what happens. But if you're interested in seeking more sanctification, I'll go back to last week, how, how we remembered our baptisms, how we remembered how Jesus grasps our hands and rescues, saves us from the chaos of sin and death and the evil one. But baptism doesn't just represent salvation. It represents a cleansing, just like the laver at the temple. It represents us being cleansed from sin in an ongoing way. And I want to encourage you, each time you wash your hands, each time you bathe or shower, even if it's only once a week on Tuesday or never when you're at camp, to stand or be in the water and, and pray, Jesus, make me holy. Sanctify me, my Lord. And if you'd like to receive Jesus' sanctifying work, in an ongoing way, I, I have a prayer of response. And I invite you to stand and hold out your hands, just like this. As we pray this prayer together, the words will be on the, the screen. So I invite you, if you'd like to receive the work of Jesus as sanctifier, to pray this aloud with me. Jesus, we thank you for your sanctifying us in your death on the cross for our sins. But still, we recognize our own struggle with sin, thoughts that are not your way, words that are not your way, actions that are not your way. And in this moment of silence, we confess these sins to you in our hearts. Let us continue. Jesus, by your spirit, help us to abide in you. Help us to open up our lives so that you can come into these houses, these temples, and fill them with your joy, your peace, your patience, your kindness. Sanctify us each day. Grow us in maturity. We want to be like you, Jesus. And every time we wash ourselves, even just our hands, every time we feel rain on our skin, by your spirit, remind us of your cleansing power that we can experience each day as you work in us to make us the people you want us to be. We pray in your sanctifying name. Amen. You can be seated. So in this series of the fourfold gospel, we committed ourselves to having a unique responding time, some sort of response. Uh, we've already responded in prayer. We want to respond with something that's a little more tactile, something that um, we'll remember as we go from here. And uh, as we were talking about sanctifying, I thought about an experience that I had once uh, in an Orthodox church, Eastern Orthodox church. It was uh, 
the language of the service wasn't Coptic. I didn't understand most of what was going on. It was a beautiful service. Um, but towards the end of the service, the, the priest, the Orthodox priest, came and, and he took um, uh, what, what is called a, a, an aspergillum. I've learned to find it's a piece of church furniture. It looks sort of like a, a stick with a ball on the end of it. And he put it into the baptismal font, filled that ball with water, and he started walking down the aisles and very aggressively spraying everybody with water. I didn't know exactly what was going on. I thought it was cool, but didn't know if I was interloping and, and being somewhere that I shouldn't be. It felt like maybe I'd done something wrong as he's wielding like a mace over his head. I come to find later uh, that that is uh, furniture that comes from this, a hyssop branch, a hyssop branch. A hyssop branch is what was used in the Exodus for people to take the blood of the lamb and put it over the door frames of their houses so that the angel of death would pass over their house. It's noted in Psalms and in Isaiah as an instrument of healing and sanctifying for the people of God, of purity, of purity. And I asked, so why so aggressive? What was going on? And I was told, that's a remembrance of your baptism. And it's a reminder to live into your baptism. And I said, well, I got pretty wet. That was, you know, couldn't I just have gone and dipped my finger in or something like that? More, sort of like what we did last week. And he said, no, this is an encouragement. That priest was being a cheerleader for you to live into your baptism and to be reminded of who makes you holy. So today as a response... What we're going to invite, I'm not going to go down the aisle and aggressively do this. Uh, we won't put it to a vote whether you want me to do that or not. Um, it's a little different in an Orthodox church because everybody is baptized in an Orthodox church. Not everybody is baptized here. We have different baptism practices. But if you are someone who would like to come and remember your baptism in this way, I'll invite you as the music is playing just to come down and stand in front along here. And I'm going to come with a hyssop branch. I'm going to put water in the font. I'm going to dip that branch in the water, and I'm just going to lightly put a little water out in front of you as you hold your hands out as a reminder of the ongoing work of sanctification that God desires to do and an encouragement to live into that in your lives. If you would like to come and be reminded of our sanctifier Jesus, feel free to come forward and hold out your hands.